rootslandnation.com Wear your culture. 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 Because righteousness governed the world. Broadcasting live and direct from the rolling red hills on the outskirts of Kingston, Jamaica. From a magical place at the intersection of words, sound, and power. The red light is on. Your dial is set. The frequency in tune to the Rootsland podcast. Stories that are music to your ears. That show last night on the beach was magical, Enrique. See, Stefano, I agree. Was magical. Nice word. Me and John had a great time. Fantastico. How do you say fantastico? Oh, yeah. It's true. There is nothing like seeing live reggae in Jamaica. Yay, Gianna. Uh-huh. We go to shows in Italy all the time. But this is so very special. Yeah, I kind of forgot that myself. There is nothing like live reggae in Jamaica, is there? You know, I've been in touch with a lot of old feelings and a lot of old uh, memories being here in Negril. I appreciate hanging out with you guys. It's been great. It was nice for you and little Kimmy to invite us. Well, really, little Kimmy. It was all her. I was just a designated driver. But I'm glad you guys had a good time. Well, Enrique, by the looks of things... You and little Kimmy seems like more than just good friends. Am I right, Gianna? See, Stefano. Henry, we are Italian, you know. We can sense when there is a romance in the air. You are sure there is nothing more between you two? No, 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 no. Uh Uh-uh. Well, hey, maybe in a different different universe, but uh, I'm in love with one Jamaican girl already and I have my hands full, believe me. But Kimmy sure is special, isn't she? She's such a great person. What a good kid. Excuse me. Excuse me. Did someone mention my name? What are you sneaking up on? How are you all sneaking up? I wasn't sneaking up on anyone. I was just bringing your drinks as ordered. Oh, okay. Oh, so I'm a good kid. Kimmy, no, it's just an expression. No, I'm sorry, but I'm actually an adult. Come on, Kimmy. Good kid is just an expression. Don't take it so literally. Mr. Cario, if anyone is acting childish, it's you. <sighs> okay, little Kimmy, what, well, yeah. Locking yourself in your cottage the first week you got here. Oh, come on, Anyway, please. I'm glad to see you out and having a good time. Oh, and I suppose I, I have you to thank for that, of course, right? Breaking me out of my shell. Anyways, here are your drinks. Daiquiris for Gianna and Stefano. And a Coca-Cola for Mr. Cariel. Yes, little Kimmy. Come join us for a drink after you finish working. Yeah, Gianna's right. Join us for some drinks after you work. Come on. Come hang out with the crew. No, thank you. I'll, I'll actually be heading home early tonight. <sighs> I have some All studying right. to do. Mr. Studious. We see you tomorrow. If you need anything else, just let me know. Okay? Yana and Stefano, enjoy the rest of your night. Of course, it's always a pleasure. You're sure there's nothing more between you two? How do you say in Italian? Assoluto? Okay, if you say so. I'm sure. But I see the way you look at each other. There is some chemistry. No. This is Negril, Gianna. That's nature's chemistry working.
When Brian and I took our infamous road trips to Negril with the Armor Heights crew, we usually stayed in the center of the action, on the town's world-famous Seven Mile Beach, a legendary stretch of uninterrupted coastline where every hundred yards lies another boutique hotel and mom-and-pop's guest house, each with its own custom beachside cafe that served everything from freshly caught snapper to brick oven pizza. Our preference? Negril's Country Cottages. Basic no-frills $30 two-bedroom cottages on the beach. With no AC, but ceiling fans that did the trick. Clean bathrooms and pull-out sofa beds that allowed six people to sleep comfortably. And with nearby entertainment ranging from topless volleyball and beer-chugging contests to live music, featuring some of reggae's hottest talent, our crew could spend an entire week in Negril, barefoot, never in need of drifting more than a mile in any direction from the hotel. Then there were the times when I wanted to be alone, focus on myself, or on nothing at all. For those trips, the only place was the Rock House, on Negril's West End. Stylish stone and wood bungalows, that were seamlessly built into the jagged coral cliffs, all with private balconies where you can step out of your bedroom door and jump right into the crystal Caribbean sea. Not to mention, Rock House was located adjacent to my favorite Negril chill spot, a Weemaway, an open-air thatched-roof cliffside bar with a spectacular sunset view that somehow managed to slip under the radar of the throngs of tourists heading west towards the more fashionable Rick's Cafe. Awimue attracted the type of traveler that looked to avoid the overcrowded tourist traps and preferred a more serene Negril experience, one of meditation and contemplation, which was exactly what I had planned and why I checked into a quiet villa at the Rock House. The funny thing about Negril is, nothing ever goes as planned. So, Henry from Kingston, I know you weren't asking, but I'm going to give you a piece of advice. Okay, Kim, why, why am I not surprised by that? But go ahead. I mean, that is if you don't mind. Okay, well, go ahead. Let me hear what you have to say. So, I heard you talking about quitting the music business. Oh, you did? But personally, I think that's a very bad idea. Oh yeah, you were eavesdropping again, right? Great. Listening to my conversation with the Italians? I mean, you love what you do. And not many people get the opportunity to do what they love to do. Well, actually, Kimmy, that's very wise. So you're pretty fortunate, you know? You know, my friend Brian... He used to tell me that all the time. I mean, do you think I want to be a waitress my whole life? No, I know you don't, Kimmy. That is why I'm here studying to be a cosmetologist. I love hair and makeup. And that's my dream. I see you. I see how hard you work. Believe me, you're inspiring. I mean, don't you ever felt like this is what you were meant to do? Like, don't you ever felt that way? Well, you have some time for a story. Okay, tell me now. You know, Kimmy, there was a moment when I was recording the last Fire on the Mountain album. Wasn't in the studio, amazingly enough. Was on the way home one night. 
I'd usually book the late night sessions, starting at 10 and 11 and ending at 4 a.m., just because it was quiet and cheaper. And then I'd leave the studio late at night. <laughs> oh my God, you're crazy. Driving around late in the night in that city? I had the singers Sugar Black and LeBankale with me. They were at a session recording backup vocals for one of my albums. They had the sweetest harmonies I've ever heard. Their two voices were a match made in heaven. Anytime I drove anywhere with them, there was no need for the radio. I just had them sit in the back like I was a chauffeur. And the two of them would sing the entire ride. They had a repertoire that consisted of everything from the carpenters to the whalers. And that particular night was no different than any other. Until their sweet vocals were drowned out by the sound of police sirens. And as you know in Kingston, the police could be just as dangerous as the criminals. And the fact that I had two Rastafarians in the back seat, that wasn't going to help the situation. Babylon, pull you over. With two Rastaman out of the car. It's not good, pretty. All right, Sugar Black, calm down. Don't say anything. Let me do the talking. I have an idea. Excuse me, license registration, please. Listen, officer. It's very late to be out on the roads, and I see your fitness sticker is expired. Listen, officer, here's my license. I, I know my fitness is expired. I just got back to town. I was I was out of the country, and we're just in the studio Excuse working. me, sir, please. Just um, a license and listen, registration. Listen, before you write any ticket, please, can I make you an offer? Now, you've got nothing to lose, please. Be careful, please. sir. You are treading on thin ice with that kind of talk. No, no, no. It's not what you think. It's not what you think. Oh, really? Then what is it? Here, here's what. See my singers in the back seat? Let them sing you a song. And if they blow you away, why don't you give me a pass on the ticket? I promise I'll, I'll go in this week and, and, and get everything filled out properly. Just give it a shot. How about that? All right, guys. Let it roll. I was born by the river In a little tent Whoa And just like the river I've been running Running ever since It's been a long A long time coming But I know Change gonna come It's been too hard leaving But I'm not afraid to try As long as Ja is by my side I know I, I can carry on It's been a long A long time coming But I know Change gon' come Oh, yes it will When Sugar Black and LeBankale finished, the police stood there for a moment silent. They looked at each other stunned by what they heard. Didn't know what to do, but with too much pride to admit defeat, the officers just walked back to their vehicle, got back in and drove off into the night. We just sat there parked in the Neva, on the side of the road. The significance of that moment was not lost on any of us, least of all me. 
There they were, two Rastafarians, members of a religious group that had been persecuted and abused for decades by the very same police who had just stood before us. And for Sugar Black and Labankale to have the opportunity to sing a song like a change is going to come right to the faces of the ones who committed crimes against the Rasta community, that was an unforgettable moment of reckoning and redemption. And that night I realized that sometimes change doesn't always happen as a result of mass demonstrations or large protests or the storming of buildings and breaking of windows. Sometimes change can happen in small ways that are just as significant. The kind of meaningful change that Brian had been trying to tell me about since we moved to Kingston. But I was too blinded by the spotlight to understand. When he talked about making music to elevate and uplift ghetto people, and the kind of quiet revolutions that happen one person at a time, and one song at a time. And while it may not happen overnight, one day, a change is gonna come. And you know what? I'd like to be around when it happens. Having found a little peace, purpose, and friendship on my trip to Negril, there was still one more stop I needed to make on my way back to Kingston. At a small roadside coconut stand on the outskirts of Treasure Beach on the south coast of Jamaica resides the Jelly Man. Marked by a set of red, gold, and green flags, Waving in the Caribbean breeze, the humble Rasta man lives a simple life on the beach, selling fresh coconuts to passing tourists, and a local clientele who comes as much for his advice as they do for his coconuts. Jellyman has a zen-like, mystical quality and radiates a confidence and warmth that makes strangers feel at home at his little beachfront base camp. A spiritual man, He's well-versed not only in his own Rastafarian faith, but has a vast understanding of many of the world's religions and cultures. For practical reasons, Jelly keeps his long gray dreadlocks wrapped tightly around his head like a turban, which adds to his mystique. He spends his days living a natural Rastafarian lifestyle, chopping and cutting, running and fishing, eating fresh fruit and vegetables. Which, judging by the way he looks, is the formula for staying forever young. Needless to say, Brian really admired him. And stopping by Jellyman's stand on our drive back to town in order to stock up on fresh coconuts for the house had become one of our road trip traditions. That along with Brian burning a giant spliff on the beach with Jelly and getting into prolonged philosophical and religious debates, it was kind of like Stoner Sunday School meets a Talmudic study session. If I thought I was going to get any clarity or closure regarding Brian on this trip, so far, I was mistaken. Opting instead to take the coward's way out, and not even mention Brian's death to anyone who asked about him, simply saying that Brian had gone back home. A vague answer that obviously didn't tell the real story. I thought that maybe stopping at Jellyman's could help me finally deal with the loss of Brian. Just face it head on. After all, the events surrounding Brian's overdose were murky at best. A 
quick call from his ex-girlfriend Sarah with the news. No return number. Nothing about a service or funeral. Or where he was going to be laid to rest. And now, just a few months since his death, this would be the closest thing I would have to a ceremony. And with Jellyman's roadside stand being one of Brian's favorite spots, it just felt right. When I pulled up, Jellyman was sweeping up his shop, standing next to a large pile of cracked coconut husks. The sign of a busy day. Greetings, musician. What is going on, Jelly? Really good to see you. Why, nice to see the van still around, King. Yeah, the van, it is still running. She's on life support. This may be the last time you see her. Oh, is your singer, Little Rizla. The singer? That's a whole nother story, Jellyman. Our friend's no longer with us. What? No! Yeah, he's... He's found some peace with the angels. He's singing with them now. Don't say so. I know. I know. Don't say so, King. Brian, pass on. I know, it's it's a waste. Sorry, my so youth, sensitive. what a waste. I know, all the talent in the you world. You did have so much promise. All the promise. A good youth. Yeah, I know. Good, I know, good youth. Wicked little singer. See? Me sorry. I'm sorry too. Me really sorry if you hear that, King. Jellyman reached into a large blue barrel full of melted ice and pulled out a coconut. He shook it with both hands before placing it back in and choosing one that was more to his liking. He held the coconut in the palm of his hand, gripped it tight, and extended his arm. With his other hand, grabbed a sharpened machete on the table. And then, with the skill and precision of a trained samurai, proceeded to slice away the very top portion of the husk, Exposing just a thin layer of unbroken skin, he then took the tip of his blade and punctured a small hole in the top, barely big enough to fit in the straw that he carefully slid in. Here is your jelly. Head down to the beach and I'll meet you down there when I finish up. See? Jellyman handed me the coconut, and I went down to the beach, walked all the way to the shore until I could feel the gentle waves massage my feet. The sunset was a glorious mixture of pastels and violets and what looked like cherry red rays shooting out of the sun. The still water, only interrupted by a lone fisherman returning home from a day at sea, his small wooden boat puttering across the horizon. Once again, Jamaica was handing me a gift, lobbing me a softball. This was my moment to say something profound. Something meaningful. A fitting farewell to my brother in arms. For a second, I thought about spilling my coconut in the water, the way that rappers do in the hip-hop videos, when they pour out a sip of their liquor for their fallen soldiers. But then I thought Brian would think that was a waste. So there I stood silent, for the first time in a while, at a complete loss for words. I couldn't find the right way to say goodbye. Then, all of a sudden, I heard a voice in my head. You know, Enrique? No, actually, it was a voice in my ear. It was the jelly man. Every night, Japan, the masterpiece in the sky. 
only if you make it disappear and then reappear even more spectacular the very next night. Some things in life you can't explain, can't understand, can't describe. All you can do is give thanks and praise, King. What impeccable timing and instinct the Rastaman had. I know he was referring to the sunset, but in his wisdom, he knew that every word he spoke rang true for our friend Brian, who, like the evening sky at dusk, was a spectacular masterpiece that couldn't really be understood or explained. And that's when the Jellyman, with his Mr. Miyagi-like approach, made me realize that I didn't travel all the way to Negril to say goodbye to Brian. I came here to say thank you to Brian. Because Brian didn't go anywhere. He was still here. All around me. All around us. Here's a little package I put together for your drive. Wow, Jellyman, that's for me? Wow, really, all that? Oh, how, that's great. How much do I owe you for that, please, how much? You know, forgive me not. Oh, come on, man. This is a gift from the Jellyman. Oh, no, come on. A gift? Let me give you a little something. You don't have to give me nothing. Where are you going next? Actually, Jellyman, for the first time in a while, I don't know where I'm going. The Jellyman started laughing, and I wasn't sure if it was because he thought I was joking or because he knew I wasn't. We walked back to the Neva, which was parked up by the main road. I stepped over to give him a fist bump and say goodbye. But Jellyman pulled me in, gave me a hug, which is just what I needed. Major protect you in going out and you're coming in until we meet again. As I got back on the road, I can see in the rear-view mirror that Jellyman went back to sweeping up his shop, the silhouette of his dreadlocks still visible as the last minutes of the Jamaican sunset melted into night. The road ahead was dark and quiet, except for the sounds of the crickets singing as I drove by the wooded areas and dense mangroves along the coast. It was three hours till Kingston, and I had a full tank of gas, two cold coconuts, and a spliff of Jamaica's finest, thanks to my friend the Jellyman. And although what I told him was true, I didn't know where I was going. I did know something. I knew where I was coming from, and I knew where I was at that very moment. And I made a promise that I would never forget the names and faces of all those I met on my journey through Rootsland. You know, when I was producing reggae, it always used to bother me that everywhere I went, people always wanted to hear my stories more than my music. The record executives at the label, friends, family, they all wanted to know what it was like to work in Jamaica, to live in Jamaica. To love in Jamaica. And maybe over time I've come to realize sometimes the story is the best song. And if that's the case, then I have to give credit where it's due to the ones who wrote the song, the people of Jamaica, by showing me and the world that something beautiful, something lasting can come from pain, from suffering, 
and to the ones who played the song, all the musicians who put their heart and soul into every note they ever played, and of course to the one who sings the song, my friend Brian the Lion, my eternal voice. And sometimes, on a quiet Kingston night, if you listen closely, in between the sound of the bass line rumbling in the distance and the faraway thud of the kick in the snare drum, you'll hear the echoes of that sweet, soulful voice singing Brian's Redemption Song. As for me, I'm not going anywhere. You see, I can't, because I'm stuck in a traffic jam at the intersection of words, sound, and power in a magical place called Rootsland.
Henry Kay. Henry Kay Productions.